0: M-S-W-Media. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Well, pour yourself a glass it for a spill, it's time to have some fun, let's do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking, this is what we're drinking with
1: Andy.
2: Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm Dan Dunn. Happy to be here with you. Coming up in just a little bit. Got the co-author of Black Mixolence, a comprehensive guide to Black Mixology. Might also recognize him from the Cocktail Kings on the Discovery Channel. Colin Asari Apia is gonna be joining in just a little bit. Taping this. On Memorial Day, I want to send out much love and respect to the upstanding members of our military past and present. Also, since it is Memorial Day, there's a few things worth remembering. I'd like to start off with, uh, first off, Ray Liotta. You heard at the beginning, passed away last week. It hit me hard, man. I'm a big fan of Ray Liotta. Very sudden and very sad. So let's remember Ray Liotta today. Some other things. Remember, I before E... Except in Budweiser. Remember, never go bowling in shorts. Now this one I can't explain, but I instinctively know that it's true. Remember, the moment you realize you actually enjoy wine is the moment you officially become an adult. That's right. Welcome. Remember, no matter what the haters say, a peach fuzzy is a fantastic cocktail. That's right. Sure, you might be thinking pink lemonade, vodka, fresh, juicy peaches. Hell, all we need is the Pillsbury Doughboy, some crazy straws, and a Real Housewives Marathon, and we got ourselves a rage ass party! <laughs> the funny thing is, I was thinking the same thing. And you know what that says about us? It says it's time to get our brain freeze on, motherfuckers! Bottom line, drinking a peach fuzzy means you have lost all capacity for shame. I'm going to go ahead and call that a good thing. Remember, the glass is neither half empty nor half full. It just needs to be topped off. Remember, there's a big difference between picking up someone in a bar and meeting someone in a bar. To achieve the latter, which is almost always a more rewarding experience, you need to stay off the rehearse lines and get into some genuine off-the-cuff banter. Most important part of making that happen, however, is the groundwork you lay in the bar before the conversation starts. The main thing you want to do is build a coalition of the thrilling, I like to call it, which is to say a third-party group that can validate how fucking awesome you are to the object of your ardor. This means becoming what I call liquor fabulous. It all starts with the bartender. Get his or her name when you walk in, write it on your hand, and tip well. Tip, 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 tip. Then you got to strike up a conversation with other well lubricated patrons around you. Charm the hell out of them. All right. Once you have a decent coalition built, When you do get a chance to chat up the hottie who just walked in, everyone will know your name and think you're the funniest son of a bitch that ever lived. We'll never know what hit him. Remember, the hardest part about being a bartender is figuring out who's drunk and who's just stupid. Remember, if you're a nervous flyer, the first thing you need to do when you arrive at the terminal is rank your pre-flight worry on a scale of 1 to 5. Now, 1 means you're slightly apprehensive. Five means you'd rather contract monkeypox than get on that damn plane. That rank is also equal to the number of alcoholic beverages you should order at the bar near your departure gate. Hopefully you're traveling in business class, in which case there will be some warm nuts waiting for you when you get on the plane. And warm nuts make everything better. They really do. And finally, on our list of things to remember i'd like to throw it over to our old pal billy d williams
0: there are two rules to remember if you want to have a good time rule number one never run out of cult 45 rule number two never forget rule number one
2: okay a reminder to follow me on twitter instagram at the imbiber on instagram the podcast has its own account it's wwd underscore podcast Hoping to see some of you, uh, some of the fans from the Adam Carolla show. I'm hoping to see you at the Adam Carolla family barbecue coming up on June 18th. I'll be there. If you're going to be there, please come up and say hi to me. Just don't touch me or anything like that. I don't like being touched. Um, what else we got? Oh, I want to remind you, remind you that our friends at Murphy good winery still running uh, through June, the really good job contest. That's right. If wine country's calling your name, Murphy Good is offering a job that comes with major perks, major perks. It's a foot in the door in the wine industry, $10,000 per month salary, $10,000, and you get to live vineyard front, on the vineyard, rent free for a year with a year's supply of wine, which they tell me is a bottle a day. Jesus, come on. In Healdsburg, one of the premier destinations in the world for wine. Come on. So to get this, um, get this job, what you want to do, you got to go to murphygoodwinery.com. I have all the rules and stuff on there, but basically you're going to pull out your camera and you're going to shoot a video telling Murphy Good why you deserve to get this job. And you got about four weeks left. But don't wait. Get on it now. Get on it now. Just get there. Upload a video of your application. And man, if you get that job, I want to hear from you. Okay? I want to interview you on this show. You can do it! Speaking of this show, one of the more popular new features we have is called What Will It Be? That's right. People come into the bar here at our headquarters. What we're drinking headquarters, which is our bartender, Lloyd. And they come in, so I went, I dug up one from the archives. That's right. There's an old What'll It Be featuring the late great Rodney Dangerfield. That's right, comedian Rodney Dangerfield stopped by the bar years ago, before he passed, obviously, and he had a little chat with Lloyd. Went something like this. A little slow tonight, isn't it? <laughs>
0: Yes, it is, Mr. Torrance. What'll it be? Let's have some drinks here, see
2: what's going on for crying out loud. <laughs> Mr. Dangerfield, welcome back. What can I get you?
0: Bring a pitcher of beer every seven minutes until somebody passes out, and then bring one every 10 minutes,
2: right? <laughs> Coming right up.
0: Let's go while we're young.
2: Here you are, sir. How's your week been so far?
0: Uh, the other night I was in a place I felt like having a few drinks. Someone opened at the bartender, I said, surprise me. He showed me a naked picture of my wife. And how is your wife these days? Hey, my wife can't do nothing right. She can't cook. The worst cook in the world. Gave my kid alphabet soup. He spelled out
2: help. Well, I'm sorry to hear that, sir.
0: I'm an Earth sign. She's a Water sign. Together we made mud. Oh, I picked up beauty. And she played around too. When she said I do, I should have said with who.
2: At least you have your health. You're looking very good these days. Hey kid, I know I'm
0: ugly I stuck my head out the window, got arrested for mooning I know I'm ugly, I went to a freak show They let me in for nothing Kid, I was an ugly kid too How ugly I was so ugly my mother breastfed
2: me through a straw Would you like another drink, Mr. Dangerfield? Let's go while we're young My apologies It's very busy this evening and we're short-staffed
0: oh, This whole place sucks That's right, it sucks Okay yeah. Oh, somebody's stepping a duck. Mm-hmm Hey, everybody! We're all gonna get late. All right, then, sir. Man, it's not easy being me. When I was born, the doctor told my mother I did all I could, but he pulled through anyway. Yes, indeed. My mother never breastfed me. She told me she liked me
2: as a friend. Will you have a wonderful evening? This whole place sucks. A B C D E F G H I J K L M N O P Q R R R Ah! Oh, Happen again. Whenever I randomly decide to perform the alphabet on this show, I always get stuck on those three R's. Guess it's because of my close personal relationship with Batiste Rum, known far and wide as the Three R Rum, because they practice regenerative agriculture, use renewable energy, and make responsible choices. The makers of Batiste Rum employ an eco positive solar powered manufacturing process from beginning to end it's the only known beverage alcohol in the world to have a climate positive natural production process without the purchase of carbon offsets batiste rum is made from 100 pure fresh cane juice not molasses or sugar crystals if you like your tequila 100 agave then you'll like your rum 100 cane juice it's an incredibly damn delicious rum to be enjoyed or in cocktails i got two great offer codes from batiste for you Go to BatisteRum.com, that's B-A-T-I-S-T-E-R-H-U-M.com. Fill up your cart, enter code WWD15 at checkout to get 15% off all orders. And if you want to try their delicious Reserve Rum, and you should, enter code RESERVE to get 20% off. Folks, Batiste Rum is proof that great taste with true sustainability is not a goal for tomorrow, but a reality today. And that is as simple as ABC. And now, a word from one of our dream sponsors, Miller Lite Bowling Tournament, circa 1982. The score's all even! Last frame, who's up? Rodney. Rodney! Rodney! Oh, you
0: gotta be a mistake. Hey, are you kidding? It's a piece of cake.
1: Oh, cake. All we need is one pin, Rodney. Oh, oh.
0: <laughs> oh. White like beer from Miller. Everything you always wanted in a beer and less.
2: I hey, didn't get my turn yet. I'm going to break this time. Joining me now, the author, or co-author, I guess, or we'll figure this out. A new book that's coming out on June 7th called Black Mixolence, a comprehensive guide to black mixology. It's a book that takes the reader on a deep dive into the significant history, inventions, and monumental contributions of black and brown mixologist very happy to have him on the show he's the leader of brand advocacy at Bacardi USA Colin Asari Apia. how are you man
1: oh Dan, that's the best introduction I've ever heard and you nailed it with my name as well I am oh good man you know I'm,
2: I, I do my research here it's good to see you, man. And congrats on the book. It's it's coming out June seventh. Very it's a great looking book. I got a copy of it. I love the, the, the cover on this, just looks great. Now, so let me make sure I got that. so Tamika Hall and yeah. yourself did the book. Who what what's the breakdown of credit
1: here? Yeah, yeah. Tamika Hall basically helped develop uh the idea for the book. And then I was approached by um by the publisher, Kingston Imperial. They came on board and they said, Listen, Colin. Uh, we really want you to get involved in this. Um, we know the work that you do around DNI, and it will be great for you to get involved. And you know, they introduced me to uh, Tamika. Uh, Tamika, who she's been writing for many years, she started off of a blog a long time ago, and then um, you know, working on this book of hers has been an absolute pleasure.
2: So it's it it feels like a, a book whose time is long overdue. I mean, I want to get into a bunch of stuff with you. Let's start, it's it's kind of in, I think it's hard to consider the role of mixology if you don't talk about rum, okay, with rum and the the African, well, at that time, the Afro-Caribbean community, I guess you'd call it, but let's, yeah. look, this was a, this is a, this was, it was pretty fucking brutal, right? Like, Tamika yeah. writes in the book, it wasn't until 1834- a year after the passage of the slavery, slavery Abolition Act in Britain, that slavery ended in almost all British colonies, including the Caribbean, this act established a compensation fund of £20 million, but this was mostly used to pay the former slave owners rather than those who had suffered as part
1: of the trade. Well, if you think about it as well, only recently, Haiti has just finished paying back France. I don't know if you knew of that. Yeah. One of the reasons why Haiti isn't the way it is financially is because they had to pay for the revolt, uh, which happened over 200 years ago. So, you know, slavery still has a big, um, a big part um, and also affected so much of where we are today. And, you know, it transported people all around the world, uh, different Um, Of course, different traditions were started and grew um, through the trade and also different spirits were created as well uh, through uh, the trade. The sharing of ideas, survival as well of tradition was kept uh, through some really tough times, you know, by black people. And it's amazing that to this day, we're managing to be able to really showcase and excel and still highlight lots of our traditions uh when it comes to even a simple thing like uh cocktails and spirits
2: wasn't if i understand this and please correct me if i get any of this wrong here rum was rum was kind of a happy accident down there right like it was you the slaves are working the you know they're doing the the sugar working sugar cane molasses all and then that Mm -hmm. sort of came out and then they did this. They develop rum. And of course, the white people steal it. And then that becomes the trade up to New England. Right. Was kind of the main hub for where the rum was going at that time. And rum was the most popular spirit in what was then, I guess, the colonies of the United States. And then that gets cut off. Right. There's a, we, that that gets. Tell us a little bit about what happens there. And then. I guess, opening the door for whiskey to sort of take over in the States?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, because all of the uh, rum trade, there's a lot of movement of rum to New England where it was finished, then it was aged. There's a lot of, um, there was a big uh, fire or um, a uh, rum um, accident that happened in Boston, which shaped and changed the way that Rum was actually dealt with in New England. And the whole um, movement of rum to New England uh, and the art of distillation as well had started centuries before in Africa. You know, Africa gave the world uh, distilling. So the fact that we were making rums in the Caribbean was no happy accident. The people that were, sh- the slaves that were shipped and the people that were shipped. To the uh, Caribbean and South America brought their skills with them. And some of them were distillers. And they started distilling and using these local byproducts, which are, of course are uh, either molasses or uh, sugarcane juice, to actually distill and make uh, their own spirits. Because traditionally, no one really cared for uh, rum, it was lots of cognacs, sherries fine wines. They were the things that, you know, the Europeans really liked and that's what they really appreciated. What the African slaves brought to the Caribbean was this new wave of spirit, uh, which was rum.
2: Now the book is a celebration, as we said earlier, of of black and brown mixologists. You know, I've been doing this a while, I guess, since the sort of beginning, the nascent stages of the craft cocktail resurgence. And let's face it back then, 15, 20 years ago, it was a lot of white dudes. So then you start seeing, then you start seeing, some women start to emerge a little bit, yeah. and then you start seeing people of color start to emerge. How gratifying is it for you now, someone who's been doing this a long time, to finally see that diversity coming forth in in, in the world of spirits and, and, and cocktails?
1: I mean, I'm really, really happy. Hey, let's let's just you know let's let's just say. We, we've got a long way to go. This is a great start. I remember when we first started um, in this industry, and I grew up, obviously, in uh, England, there were very few of us. Uh, there was myself, Douglas Ankara, and um, a couple of other guys like Dmitry Lazinska, And um, we basically helped shape the way that people um, approached bartenders, because being black, working as a bartender was not... Um, something that you really wanted to do. There was no career path in it. As, um, as someone was grow- growing up in a black household, you had to get a proper job. I think that's every um, race, right? But yeah. we managed to really break through and it was we were lucky enough to have been involved in the last golden era of the cocktail, which really helped shape our trajectory. And coming here to the US, seeing more, black mixologists getting involved in the industry. It's been really refreshing because when I first started here in the U.S., there was, again, a handful of black mixologists that were celebrated as such. But there was a ton in the industry, but they just never had a voice. And if we go back to 1917 when The ideal Bartender came out, there's only been a handful of cocktail books that have been written by people of colour. And it's great that at long last we have a cocktail book that are written by two black people, but then also celebrating black people's contributions to the industry and talking about it and sharing some of their recipes that they like to work with and some of the flavor profiles that they like to work with and some of the techniques as well that they've picked up, which they're sharing with the world. And I think the pandemic or the lockdown really did help shine a light on the fact that, oh, these black and brown bartenders are really unique, have different perspectives on the trade. And something that I've always done and also something that um, at Bacardi, what we always try and do is we always try and ensure that we have representation. So people that look like the people that we're trying to uh, engage with. And so there are a lot more black and brown brand ambassadors, for example, that we didn't have before. And out of the pandemic has come this groundswell of interest In diversity, which is can only be good for the trade because with the interest in diversity and inclusion, you get equity. And with that as well, you get people bringing in all their cultural. I was going to say, you get
2: more great taste. That's that's honestly more flavors. You know, one of the. Fascinating things in the book that I didn't know. I was reading about uh, Cato Alexander. Okay, so yes. Cato Alexander was one of the first, uh, one of the few Black mixologists that actually opened a bar during the slavery era. He had a bar called Cato's Bar and Inn in New York City in the late 1700s, which is incredible to me. But the place did well, right? It became sort of a hot spot among the the white elites and. uh I'm just trying to wonder. I, I don't. I didn't get to the end of it, but so basically, how did they end up screwing him out of his bar? Because you know that was coming at some point, right? <laughs> you knew
1: that was coming. Yeah. Exactly. Um, he was. He was really actually highly uh, respected. Um, a lot of politicians really appreciate appreciated him, and also with with him um, owning a bar, there was another um, person of color who owned a place called the Francis Tavern. Which is actually just by South near South Street Seaport, um in um nearby uh nearby Wall Street. The building's still there and the history of it, the plaque is still on the wall telling you about uh Francis. And him and Cato were around uh the same time. And you know, through um history, obviously things change. You the the um the history of things change and you know they they did very well. Cato managed to buy himself out of uh, slavery. Francis actually came from uh, the Caribbean uh, to New York. Uh, he was, uh, I think, he ended up becoming um, one of uh, the confidants uh, for George Washington. And he, George Washington, held um, meetings in the Francis Tavern. And also, even if you fast forward to 1917, the ideal bartender by uh, Tom Bullock, President Roosevelt actually wrote, you know, a little uh, forward. Um, what was the in, What was the year of that one? Uh, the ideal bartender was 1917. You know what happened in 1917, right? Prohibition came. Prohibition, so what, what, yeah. What was, Straight out with well, and then and and as a result,
2: again, if you're going to follow this through line, then so let's talk about prohibition, and let's talk about another way in which black people in the people of color in the bar community were disenfranchised. What happens during prohibition? People all the white people start going up to the to the speakeasies up in Harlem, which are pretty amazing, like the Cotton Club and all these places. And then uh, what did they do in 1926? New York enacts the cabaret law, right? i tell you how I found out about the cat. And we'll talk about what really was behind that. I found out about this a while ago, Colin. I mean, I'm talking 20 some years ago. I was in a bar in New York City and there was music on and I wasn't I wouldn't call it dancing. I might've been bopping my head and a <laughs> bouncer came up and tapped me and said, you can't do that. So what are you talking about? Yeah. He said, you can't dance here. We don't have a cabaret license. I started digging into the cabaret license there, Cause I'm like, what the hell is going on? So basically what they did was the cabaret license made it illegal to have musical entertainment, singing, dancing, other without a license. And the, the truth of it was, it wasn't, they didn't care about that. What they wanted to do was get people out of those bars in Harlem so guess who was not getting cabaret licenses when they started issuing them to try to yeah. drive people back down into Lower Manhattan to the white clubs and uh, and and then being savvy, they they never got rid of that. They said, "Well, now we can just make a bunch of money on it, charging it." Forget those cabaret licenses. The point being. It's been a long hard road. It's been a long hard short road, and it's really good to see that it's finally. I mean, you mentioned in the last couple of years. I I interviewed a couple of years ago Fawn Weaver. Um, I yeah. had on, and I and I thought Fawn, you know, Fawn is uh, the the proprietor now of Uncle Nearest, but Fawn is the one who brought up the story of Uncle Nearest, who was a slave who taught Jack Daniels how to Jack Daniel how to make whiskey. Yeah, and. Finally got that credit, and even Jack Daniels acknowledged it at some point. And sure. to the point where what was pretty amazing was there's an old photo. I'm sure you've seen it. I've seen it. A photo of Jack Daniels, Jack Daniel with Nearest, whose name was Green. I can't yeah, remember his first Green. name. Nearest Green. Okay, yeah. yeah. And that was kind of incredible that they, they would even take the photo, you know. Yeah. But that story got buried. And then that came out recently, and it's just—it's really good to see it happening a little bit, at least. I know Not great. enough.
1: I'm really, I'm yeah. really happy. Uh, what's happening now is a lot of history is being told, and I think, um uh, I speaking with Tamika as well. This book really is the start or the continuation of the story of sharing the narrative of Black mixologists and shining a spotlight on them. And I think this hopefully. Triggers lots of other people to write cocktail books about the black experience and how it's helped change cocktail culture. You know, one of the cocktails, for example, that's really shaped cocktail culture was the Mint Julep, which was really it was huge all over the South, and it's a cocktail that I really love doing. It's changed obviously over. I love making it, and it's changed obviously over the years, but. A lot of black bartenders used this cocktail and were known for creating extravagant garnishes and so on with their juleps. And some of them even bought their slavery out of being able to craft these cocktails and provide really refreshing, bracing cocktails for the general public.
2: Give us your... uh... What's what's your mint julep recipe?
1: Oh, my mint julep recipe! I've actually got a julep recipe style cocktail in um, the book, but with my mint juleps um, outside of the ones in a book, I always personally go to cognac um, as my go-to. But then with this, what I do is with the cocktail that I have in a book, I've got this beautiful like julep shaker here, which I had in the freezer, and then I've got my tin. Here, yeah, what I always do with mine is I pull a few strands of mint. Maybe look at that nice, fresh pieces of mint. That looks, by the way, Colin's pulling some. He's got some mint. Yeah, you're, some. You're mint. ripping some of it off the stem. I rip there. Some okay. of it off and just drop it into my tin. And then what I do is just add a little pinch of salt. Salinity really helps when you're when you're drinking a cocktail. And you have a little bit of saline. It really wakes up your palate, and it refreshes and rehydrates you because you sweat a lot of salt out of your.
2: So is that something you might recommend for uh, lots of different refreshing cocktails? Uh, a yeah. little bit of salt in there, a little okay. bit of salt, little but bit just salt. not just enough to to get it get your get it going, but not enough to overpower. Oh, you don't the, want to overpower the other elements. Yeah.
1: yeah, and then what I do is I add a little bit of Cleos mastiha, which is a mastic spirit, and Obviously, you know what uh, mastiha is, and it's made in Greece. It's a beautiful, aromatic uh, spirit coming from the tree, the mastic tree, and it's harvested in little teardrops. And Hippocrates used to give it to um, people who had gastric problems and also apparently it was great for your teeth. Um, the actual, um, was the word mastic? Um, we use it in English as masticate chew. So, masticate yeah. is yeah. one of the original um ingredients in um obviously in chewing gum, and then I had a large measure of uh rum because rum is one of my favorite spirits. I'm using Bacardi Superior uh because it's fresh, it's citrus forward, and it has beautiful dry backbone, and it's been made this way since. And- because you work for them. And I work for them. <laughs> but the funny thing is You know where your
2: bread you know your, your your bread's butter. I know where my bread's butter. And I, 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 buttered. And I <laughs> yep,
1: I work for them. And even if I didn't work for them, it'll definitely be one of the rums that I'd use for a cocktail like this. Because I want something which is light, refreshing, and elegant. That was the reason why I created. Um, this is for I high, love high me high some
2: high Bacardi by the way I've been down there I've, I've hung with Bacardi is just a, it's you know it's a classic man it's just it's a
1: historic brand and you know it's been around since 1862 bro I mean yeah I mean come on it's, it's anything that has been around for that long and then I'm adding a little bit of uh watermelon uh, not sorry Ooh. watermelon Gallia lemon uh the Gallia melon in here just adds a nice little uh mouthfeel uh to this and it's refreshing over ice we all love that sweet honeydew gallia melon aroma and then i'll shake it a little oh, bit just the, instead of using the back of the bar spoon to bruise it i'll give it. Is a- that a dry shake you're doing that's there? a dry shake just to bruise and bring everything together and then i'll just everybody do a dirty
2: everybody knows out there so you just so we understand when we say a dry shake that means he's shaking it without any ice in it yeah. I mean, it's obviously wet, What's exactly. in it? but there's no ice. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And then I pour it straight into my Julep glass. I've got some ice here already, which is slightly cracked. And then I just pour it in and then I just then I bring in my bar spoon just to stir all the ingredients through just to get the right dilution. There we are. Sometimes what you can do is to speed up dilution. You can add some bubbles, uh, bubbly water, or you can switch it out for champagne or Prosecco. And there we are. And then to finish this as well, what I do is just a pinch of cracked black pepper on top for the aroma. And then, obviously. So those tiny, what's what's amazing to me guys. Is-
2: just the, the attention to detail, right? Those yeah. those tiny little things you wouldn't – might most people wouldn't think of. The salt to get the saline going, the pepper to get the – that makes such a big difference. Look at that. And that's a that's a good-looking drink. I mean, look at that thing. It. I, w- I want know. one of those. <laughs> damn, damn Zoom. They haven't figured out how to how to transport the cocktails, but it, it looks delicious. Now, before I – should you pour some out there? And I say that because in the book I, – I didn't know this either. I read the book – you know, this phrase, pour a little out for those who ain't here. Yep. So I was not aware this comes from a tradition that's deeply rooted in African and Caribbean culture. Yep. You pour out a little bit in honor of of the dead, and this goes all the way back to ancient Egyptian rituals. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah,
1: pouring some out for the dead is, is definitely, for those who are not here, it's definitely a little nod to the spirits. Uh, That have gone before us because we are all an accumulation of lots of different uh, people that have gone before us. Right. And it's just a little nod and a respect to them. In my culture, in Ghana, for example, we always pour out um, a little bit of our um, local spirit, which is called Akpeteshe, which is like a really heavy um, kind of palm palm, uh, spirit. And it's it tastes a little bit like uh, I'd say a little like Ray Nephew big funky flavors. But you pour a little bit out for those that have gone before you as a sign of respect.
2: First time I ever heard of it was, uh, I think, Boys in the Hood, man. Remember Doughboy used to pour out a little bit of his 40. That was the first time I'd ever heard of that tradition, but it goes all the way, way back, thousands of years. way
1: back. And that's what I was saying to you about the fact that Black people brought their traditions from the continent to the Caribbean, South Americas, and also to the States. And they've continue to have these traditions and you know this cocktail is definitely a cocktail that spawned many great black mixologists um that went um before us in the past and the mint julie was definitely one of those drinks that uh did that
2: well speaking of uh, great black mixologists there's over uh 20 mixologists in the book black Mm mixolence uh including you've got alexis brown tiffany Barrier. Barry Johnson, Carl Franz Williams, my buddy Ian Burrell is in there. I oh, yeah. miss Ian. I haven't seen him in a few years. Frankie Marshall is a legendary New York bartender. So you got all these people. You get all these recipes in there. What are some of your favorite recipes in the book?
1: Yeah, some of my favorite. I mean, it, cocktails about moments in time, right? Um, I, love, I love some of the, uh, there's a great cocktail in there, uh, which is watermelon um, and a little bit of pepper uh, with a little bit of illegal. And it's, Absolutely great! It's and there's a cocktail, it's called the James uh, cocktail, uh, the King James. It's great. The Bellafonte Margarita as well as the one with the watermelon. That's one of my favourites. Uh, there's also some punches as well in the book, uh, which are great for communal uh, drinking because I think it's really um, important for that. And there's you know there's some in the co- interesting cocktails in there that have very traditional ingredients like sorrel or sorrel. Um sea moss, Irish moss, um, in there as well. I think there's a Guinness um uh kind of style cocktail in there as well that one of the other bartenders created. So there's a ho- a wide variety of different cocktails for everyone to explore in the cocktails, which really is um which really a reflection of the culture and the experiences that people have.
2: I'm planning on making this. You mentioned watermelon earlier. I'm trying to make this the summer of watermelon. I just never really got into watermelon as a mixer, but what? man, I mean, even with it goes with everything. It goes with everything. And whiskey, everything. And it's, it just, you can't, you know, with watermelon, watermelon to drinking, to liquid is kind of like the banjo, right? Like you can't hear the banjo and not be happy. You yeah. know, like the banjo is happy. is happy. The Same thing. Watermelon makes me happy when You're I happy drink it. It
1: puts a smile on your face.
2: Yeah, I, I'm I'm planning to incorporate a lot more watermelon into my cocktails this summer. That's what I'm doing.
1: Well add a dash of add a dash of um Martini fiero, a little bit of illegal mezcal, boom, you'll have the Bellafonte Margarita. Richard.
2: Now, are you going to do any sort of a? Uh, are you going to do any sort of a little book tour? I know we're still in the weird phase here, but are you going to go out and about with the book? I'm assuming you're going to be hitting all the cocktail festivals with it. Tales of the Cocktail in New Orleans. You'll we'll be signing books out there and whatnot.
1: Yeah, we'll be doing that. We'll definitely be at Tales of the Cocktail. We'll also be at BCB. Uh, which is coming up? First that's Bar.
2: That's Bar Covenant Brooklyn. Everybody out there. That's a uh, cocktail festival. That, well, you know where it happens. Brooklyn. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think so I got to give my listeners some credit here for figuring stuff out on their own. Yeah. Well, I I got to tell you, the book comes out uh, June seventh. It's available everywhere books are sold. It's called Black Mixolence: A Comprehensive Guide to Black Mixology. Uh, by well, Tamika Hall is the big name on the book, and then uh, Colin Asari Apia comes in with all the recipes. I guess help curate a lot of that stuff. It's a great book. I, I'm I'm really glad to have it on my shelf here. And uh, Colin, I appreciate you joining me, man. And I really wish you the best. And I hope to see you this summer Thank at one you. of these festivals.
1: Yeah, looking forward to it. And people can order it, uh, pre-order it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. It's definitely um, catching. A little bit of movement, which we really appreciate. Thank you so much for your time, Dan. Wish you the best, my friend. And I can't wait to share a cocktail with you. I'm right there with you, man.
2: The dictionary defines fresh as recently made or obtained, not canned, frozen, or otherwise preserved. That same dictionary defines victor as one that defeats an enemy or opponent. This is fitting because when you combine the words fresh and victor, you get a line of all-natural, clean-label cocktail mixers that kicks all the other mixers' asses. Fresh Victor is like the Liam Neeson of mixers.
0: I will look for you. I will find you.
2: And I will kill you. Well, if great taste could kill, then damn right, Liam Neeson. Fresh Victor features eight unique blends with contemporary flavors designed to suit any palate. All of the ingredients are fair trade sourced. There's no artificial anything. The mixers are produced at a 100% solar-powered juicing plant with absolutely no waste. Right now, Fresh Victor is offering a deal to my listeners that should be taken immediately. Simply go to freshvictor.com, fill up your shopping cart, and at checkout enter promo code WWD20 to get 20% off your order. Now's the time to treat yourself to the very best mixers on the market, and that's Fresh Victor. Anything you'd like to add, Liam Neeson? I told you I would find you. God, he's so badass. That's gonna do it for this episode, folks. I want to thank Colin... Oh, sorry, Apia, for joining me. Most of all, I want to thank you. I know you got a lot of options. Tons of options in terms of podcasts to listen to. But, you know, when you're not listening to Smart Listen, you're not listening to Marin, you're not listening to Conan and, and Call Me Daddy, you might want to listen to this show a little bit. There's my voices. Yeah. Anyway, it's been great. It's been real. It's been fun. And now... Ray Liotta, will you take us out?
1: Didn't matter, didn't mean
0: anything. When I was broke, I would go out and rob some more. We
2: ran everything, we paid off cops, we paid off lawyers, we paid off judges. Everybody had their hands out. Everything was for the taking.
0: And now it's all over. And that's the hardest part. Today everything is different, there's no action. I have to wait around like everyone else. Can't even get decent food. Right after I got here, I ordered some spaghetti with marinara sauce and I got egg noodles and ketchup. I'm an average nobody. Get to live the rest of my life like a schnook.